Ace is the place with the helpful hardware, folks. It's Ace's biggest LED light bulb sale of the year. Right now, buy one, get one free on our best-selling LED light bulbs. Our four-pack of LED bulbs is $9.99, and our two-pack of LED floodlights is only $12.99. Buy one, get one free. There's no limit on how much you can save, so stock up now. Hurry in. Buy one, get one free on long-lasting 10-year LED bulbs, now through Monday, only at your neighborhood Ace. See participating stores for details. Welcome in, Hornets fans, to the Saturday sit-down here on Hive Talk Live. I'm Doug Branson, and this is Hornets Talk for the hardcore fan, and we've got a lot to talk about. The Hornets with another big win, another blowout, their third straight, this time against against Memphis. We're going to recap that game, plus we'll talk about this Al Jefferson suspension. Frank is getting some extra minutes, want to kind of delve into his performance a little bit, plus I had a little bit of a different view for the Miami Heat game, the home game. And and it opens it opened my eyes to a few things, and I want to talk about that a little bit. And then we have to preview the Celtics game that's coming up tonight. For you folks that will be attending the game or watching the game on television, want to get you uh, a little bit of a preview for that. A lot of talk about Nick Batum. Does he deserve a max deal? Will he return to Charlotte? I have a few thoughts on that as well. But first, I I want to talk about something that interests me a little bit overall in sports. And I'll bring this back to the Hornets, but I was watching the end of the Golden State-Boston game and the double overtime game, and that, that's going to have an effect, obviously, when, when Boston travels to Charlotte tonight. But it, it got me thinking a little bit, and I've been thinking about this for a few weeks now, but we're just watching the way Golden State plays and, and the way you know they dominate night in, night out, and, and obviously they were down two players, so it was a little tougher to dominate. It took a little longer for them to you know, put the pedal down to the floor. And I also think about how the Carolina Panthers are dominating right now. 12-0, and they have a big matchup against the Atlanta Falcons to keep their streak alive. So both of these teams trying to keep their streaks alive, but both of these teams do it with a smile and a wink and a swagger. And I think if if the past couple of years or maybe even the past decade has shown us anything, it's that that kind of thing, that having fun, you know, saying weird things to the media, it's kind of frowned upon. I mean, you, you look at football and it's been this Patriots dynasty and they're very, you know, clean cut and they're very okay, we're going to say this, this, and this to the media, and that's it. And then you look at the San Antonio Spurs in the NBA, and, and they have fun with each other, but the face that they show the media is has been seen as boring, and the style of play that they have is seen as boring. And for the past decade, that's the way we viewed championship contenders. Those were the That was the bar that has been set. And now you have Golden State and Steph Curry and Draymond Green and the Carolina Panthers and Cam Newton and Josh Norman who are saying, look, 
You can win a different way. You can win with swagger. You can win with braggadoche. You can win with a smile and a wink. And as a fan, it's been incredibly fun to watch. And I, I, I feel like you. But there are a lot of fans that feel the same way, and there's certainly a lot of fans that look at both of those teams and, and wish they were more like the Patriots and wish they were more like the Spurs. But I like, and certainly, you know, the Golden State won the championship last year, but neither of these teams this year have won the big one yet. But if they do, I think it will be important because it will prove that you can win, win it all, and still have fun. It might bring some fun back into sports. And I think philosophically that's important. And in terms of the Hornets, I think they certainly have fun with one another. And you'll see that in a lot of teams. Now, the face that they present to the media is very contained. And I think they sort of straddle the line between complete, you know, the swagger that Steph and Draymond bring to their on-court performance and off the court. And a San Antonio Spurs team that's very like, okay, we've got to give this answer, this answer, this answer. But I, I just think that Golden State has just been so fun to watch. And I think part of that is part of that is obviously their elite skill. But I think part of that is the you can tell that they're having fun. And and on some level, that's and it sounds sort of almost archaic to say, you know, sports is about having fun. But we've watched a decade of dominance from teams that are almost machine-like in their personality and in the way they do things on the court or on the field. And there's nothing machine-like about what Steph does because it's very... I'm sure he's practiced enough where where he makes improvisation look... Or, or he makes skill look like improvisation. But it still looks like improvisation. It still looks fun. Anyway, so there's my my professional sports uh, views. Now I want to get to the Hornets. Why not the Hornets? That's sort of the overall question I have for this Saturday sit-down. Something special is happening in Charlotte. And the Hornets have taken it on the road as well. This three-game winning streak, and really eight of their last ten, but this three-game winning streak has featured some form, one way or another, of overt dominance over their opponent. And what's really signaling to me that something special is happening is that after every game, I check the opponent blogs for quotes and... You know, occasionally I'll go to the opponent's website, the Heat website or something, and, and try to check out what the coach or what the, the, the main stars are saying after the game. And it's been some form of, that's not our brand of basketball that we put on the court. And 
it's it's different. It's different than saying, "Well, we just had a bad shooting night." Well, you know, we just we didn't rebound the ball like like we normally do. No, this is wholesale. The Heat saying that's not Heat basketball that we put on the court, and the Grizzlies said that's not Grizzlies basketball, and the Pistons say that's not Pistons basketball. To me, that's a sign of true dominance, of true team greatness. When you can make your opponent say what we put out on the floor that night is not, it does not represent anything close to what we've put out on the floor other nights. That's different than saying we had a bad shooting night. That's one thing. But this has been what the Hornets have been able to do to opponents has been true dominance. And they've done it in Time Warner Cable Arena. And they've been able to go into somebody's house and and not allow them to do anything that they want to do for certain periods of the game. And they've done it whether the shot has been falling, the three-point shot specifically, or whether the shot hasn't been falling. And I mean, you saw in the Memphis game, Memphis goes up 10 to nothing and really had put on some overt dominance of the Hornets. I didn't even think it was an energy thing in that first quarter. It looked like they had energy. It just looked like they weren't focused. Shots weren't falling. Sometimes they don't. But it didn't look like, especially on defense and protecting the ball, they didn't look focused. And and they let an early free throw disparity, 17 free throws for Memphis in that first quarter. The the refs' whistles were they were on point. They were they were blowing those things. They weren't uh you know, they weren't holding back. Must have been new whistles. They wanted to give them a try. But the Hornets got careless with the ball, and I think they let that free throw disparity get in their heads a little bit. And and I think it was a great coaching decision by Steve Clifford to get more athleticism and and get a little smaller against their bigger lineup because it allowed and specifically Jeremy Lin his the, the amount of minutes that he played early in this game I think was key because once the Hornets started slashing to the rim once the Hornets started to pick up a few, and you knew the calls were going to balance themselves out somewhat because the Hornets are so good at drawing fouls. They are so good at getting to the rim when they're focused. And the Grizzlies could not handle that attack mentality that the Hornets brought in the second quarter. They went smaller, they went faster, they went towards the rim, and that's what started to turn this game around And then to me, the second big thing that happened in this Memphis game is that the Hornets bench was able to stay in the game and hold a small lead. They were up 50 to 48 with less than five to go in that second quarter before the starters finally had to come back in. And the bench was doing work against Gasol, Randolph, Mike Connolly. So you immediately knew that fatigue could be an issue down the stretch in the i thought it would be an issue in the fourth quarter but the hornets were able to turn it on in that third quarter nick batum and kimball walker and that's that's not that has not been a given this season with the charlotte hornets the third quarter has not been necessarily kind to the charlotte hornets but nick batum and kimball walker came out 
smoking hot, knocking down three-pointers, and and really took a lot of the will and the fight out of the Memphis Grizzlies, and it forced the Grizzlies' offense to become impatient. And the Grizzlies don't have a really high-powered offense as it is. And once they started to get impatient, then there were opportunities to run, rebounds that turned into outlet passes, that turned into easy shots or rebounds, offensive rebounds that turned into three-point opportunities. And there were stretches in the third quarter where the Hornets looked like the Golden State Warriors. Quick three, miss, offensive rebound, back out three, miss, offensive rebound, back out three, make. That's that's Warriors ball. And the Hornets were able to do things like that because they were smaller, faster, stronger. And they forced the Grizzlies offense into being impatient. And it started to become Hornets basketball, not Grizzlies basketball. 11-4 to run to open up the third quarter. That was huge. The Hornets up the pace. And both of these teams play at a similarly slow pace. They like to get into their half court, but whether it was direction from Clifford or just sort of a, a, an instinctual thing between the guards, there just seemed to be this idea that, okay, we're smelling blood in the water here, and we know that the starters had to stay in longer in that first half than they wanted to to try to, to, try to get some advantage. And, and it didn't work for the Grizzlies. And so now we up the pace here, really, really get them fatigued. And I think it affected the Grizzlies on the offensive end. So the Hornets win this one, 123-99. This time, the deep bench came in and, and uh, added to the lead, unlike in Miami. Uh, everyone was getting in the action. Tyler Hansborough had a three. Troy Daniels, Aaron, Aaron Harrison had a three. And the Hornets shot 50% from the field, 48% from three. They took 37 threes, knocked down 18 of them. Kimba and Nicholas Batum, five threes apiece. When your guard play is that effective, it is devastating. Cody Zeller, who we've given a lot of love to on this show, and and he's certainly earned it. Only 21 minutes tonight. One of five from the field. uh, Two points. Still, I thought, played pretty decent defense. But this was a game where there needed to be an adjustment. There needed to be more athleticism. There needed to be, and I thought Spencer Hawes was a great, a player in this game, I mean, he was he was 0 for 2 from the field, 8 points, because he was able to get to the line. And, and you know, he got down, got physical, and he's a little bigger body upstairs than Cody Zeller, a little better fit to go up against a Gasol, you know, one-on-one, deep in the post, and it worked out. But yeah, off the bench, I mean, Jeremy Lin, 4 of 10, 16 points, Six of seven from the line, four rebounds. He's been an exceptional rebounding guard this season. And, you know, he was, again, he was just able to cause a little bit of chaos 
on the offensive end and then defensively. Although Jeremy Lin did a great job of getting hands everywhere, recovering, forced several turnovers. Turnovers were an issue for, for the Grizzlies for sure late in the game. So, yeah, this was, I, I thought this was a big game for the Hornets because you have to be able to prove that you can beat teams that that have a certain style that would seem like, oh, this is going to – there were several people that say this is going to be a trouble game for the Hornets, just like that Detroit game. This is going to be a trouble game for the Hornets. And they went in there, they slightly changed their style, slightly changed the way, you know, their rotations, the way they attack, and they won the game. I mean, they really won the game. Speaking of Cody Zeller, he's – He's been a great substitution there at the 5 for Al Jefferson, who extended the amount of time that he will be away from the team. He was obviously had that uh, medical issue, injury, and now he'll have to sit five more games after he's medically cleared, which I assume would be done by an independent medical official. So, Because uh, a lot of people were asking that after the, sp- the suspension. It's like, how do you know? that he's medically ready to go. And I assume that's going to be done by some NBA official, and then they'll set a point and say, okay, now five games from then, you can come back. And that happened because of a a violation of the NBA's anti-drug policy. And as many people have gone over, that five games is really only, that five-game suspension is really only reserved for the third violation of uh, marijuana testing. And Al Jefferson released a statement. The Hornets released a statement. Jefferson obviously seems contrite about it. He was very apologetic, very sincere, wasn't afraid to get out there and in front of the media and say so. So obviously this is tough for Al Jefferson. This is tough for the team. And, And I'm not going to get into any kind of moralizing about leadership or drug use or whatever. I'm not interested in that. What I am interested in is the way people comport themselves in in contract years. And that's what baffled me is immediately when I heard this is that you're in a contract year. And he said many times that he sees the league evolving and the league is evolving away from players with his specific skill set. So he's having to evolve his game and showcase that he has an ability to evolve and that it is being successful. And being out five more games is not going to help that. It's not about marijuana. It's not about veteran leadership. This team has plenty of veteran leadership. It's about being able to showcase that talent to whether it be the Charlotte Hornets or whether it be another team. And all you see right now, I mean, you look at the on-off stats with Al Jefferson, and I was looking at the comments on At The Hive, and and some folks were saying, look, you know, this team is, without Al Jefferson, they look better offensively. I don't know about that. I mean, it, it looks the same to me. Offensively, 
they're, they take as many three-pointers with Al Jefferson on the court as they do with him off the court, relatively. Pace is the same. Field goal percentage, relatively the same. I think he gives you something on certain nights. There's a steadiness to his offense when it's clicking. And when it's not clicking, he's less of a negative factor on offense than just, just a non-factor. And other guys, Kemba and Nick, are forced to create. But that's not a bad thing because those two guys have been good creators this season as opposed to previous seasons where you didn't have Nick Batum creating. You didn't have Marvin Williams knocking down every three-point opportunity. You didn't have Kimball Walker playing as efficiently and shooting as well as he did. So this year is completely different. Now, when Jefferson is not a factor on offense, he's just not a factor. And at his best, he can draw a double team. And that's been the big thing, right? That Al Jefferson gives you something that really no other player on this team to this point can give you, and that's an ability to affect a defense in a double-team kind of way. He forces teams to have to rotate. So offensively, I don't see that really big of, of a difference with him on the court or off the court. I mean, obviously there's stylistic differences, but in terms of statistics, the offense seems to be just as good with him on the court as it is off the court. But defensively, this team is completely different. Defensively, overall field goal percentage is up opponent's field goal percentage, up 6% with him on the court. With him on the court, the points per 48, again, opponent's points per 48, up nearly 7. And in the restricted area, less than 5 feet, teams are shooting 60% with him on the court and 53% off the court. You're saying, okay, Doug, but you have to take into account the fact that the bench is played very well, and when the bench is in, he's not on the court. And I say to you, okay. But I also say that I watched Cody Zeller play defense against the Miami Heat. And Cody Zeller can do things to affect guards, to affect small forwards and their shots because of his quickness. He can close out on a Gerald Green. He can cut off a Goran Dragic baseline drive and still recover back to Hassan Whiteside. With Al, all he can do is drop back and try to affect whatever comes his way. But just his defense is what it is, and that's it. But Cody gives you multiple things on defense, and... He's becoming a little better at, at rim protecting. So if that continues to improve, then the sky's the limit. The one thing that Cody Zeller doesn't give you defensively that Al Jefferson does is just a big body. Because you saw when Cody Zeller was subbed in, subbed back into the game against Hassan Whiteside, Hassan was able to take him straight to the rim. And it happened a couple times against Memphis as well where they were just physically able to overpower Cody Zeller underneath. So that's what you give up defensively when Cody Zeller's in the game versus Al Jefferson because those guys aren't going to body him. You know, They're not going to push him down into the paint. They're not going to push Al Jefferson down into the paint. But I think what you gain defensively with Cody Zeller's ability to move 
and force guys to take long twos as opposed to giving them free runs at the rim, I think it raises a lot of questions as we approach the trade deadline. I think it raises a lot of questions and provides the Hornets with a few more options than than they may have had or thought they had preseason. I just think it's something to watch. And you also have to take into account the fact that Frank Kaminsky's improving defensively. Looks a lot more confident. He's a little reticent on offense, which is strange. When he's had an opportunity to to shoot a three-pointer, he hasn't always taken it when he has an open shot. He's hesitating a little bit on the pick and pop. Clifford yelled at him to shoot the ball against Miami. And we talked about it on the show. Like The biggest adjustment, I think, for a rookie big man who's a shooter is knowing how fast these guys, these individual guys can close out because you don't want to get blocked because on these pick-and-pop situations, Frank is, there's nobody behind Frank. So, because you want to give him as much space as possible. So if he gets blocked, that's two points for the other team. Easy. And I think that's in his mind. And just a quarter of a second, milliseconds, if you hesitate, it's over. But Frank's getting better. And again, you have Hawes playing better in limited minutes. You have Frank getting better in increased minutes. And you have Cody Zeller, who is showing aspects of his game that we haven't seen in the time that he's been here. Shot blocking. Running the floor. He's doing things that, again, you start to go, the scales are tipping a little bit. Whereas the the arguments that you could make for Al Jefferson, that the fact that he draws double teams, the fact that he provides mismatches and consistent offense are starting to be outweighed by what this team can do defensively. Because the past five or six games, they've played like one of the elite defenses in this league. And it's something we saw last season when Biz subbed in for him. But then last season, you had to look at that team and go, look, they need Al. They need Al's offense. But that's not the case this season. And I think it's something you have to keep an eye on. Okay, I want to talk about this Miami Heat game again because um, so a fluke thing happened, and I ended up getting uh, um, second row, a courtside view. Something I've certainly never experienced. And I just wanted to share a couple of thoughts that I had because it gives you a completely different view of the game. That's obviously closer, but I think for a basketball nerd, it is Nirvana because I was seeing Nick Batum quickly shake his head to shake off a pass from Kimba Walker saying, don't pass it. And... I was seeing guys yell switch and I was seeing Chris Bosch be a little late on a switch and Marvin Williams sink a three and Chris Bosch saying, or being upset. I'll just say that he was very upset, but you see little, the little things that you don't, even if you have like a lower level view, 
you don't see, you don't hear. And, and it just gave me an appreciation for just the small little intricacies of a basketball game. And, you know, when we watch these games on television or we watch these games from, from our seats or whatever view you have in Time Warner Cable Arena, you're, you're forced to take a big picture view of things. And you, you can, you know, look at tape and go, okay, these guys are moving and doing this way. But they're also on a micro level. They're all communicating. They're all looking at subtle movements of guys and 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 looking at guys who don't want the ball and and trying to navigate this ballet this chaos and it, it gave me an appreciation for how beautiful the game of basketball is and, and why I fell in love with it in the first place and it's like seeing you know you, you walk around you see people every day and then you take out a microscope and you and you see the the dance that all of the cells do and and it's it's really cool. It's a really cool sport that we watch, and um, it's really fun to see how uh, half a second, how Kimball Walker keeps an eye on his man, but also keeps an eye on the uh, on the top of the key, and he's just his head is flinging back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, trying to keep an eye on two things at once. And how difficult it is, and how fast these guys are, and how strong these guys are. It's a really cool sport we watch, folks. I know that the NFL may be the number one sport in the nation, but basketball is a hell of a game to watch because there are so many different things going on and it's happening so quickly. And it really gave me an even bigger appreciation for something that Steve Clifford said. And it's that there are guys on this team with skill that you can't teach. You can't go through drills and teach the kind of vision that Nick Batum has and some of the passes that he made. You can't, there's no drill for the way that Jeremy Lin is able to disrupt a defense with his dribble and underneath the basket, and the figure eight that he did against Memphis. Beautiful. Amazing. It's it's amazing when you see it from the upper deck or from the lower level. But to see it on a micro level, to see what these guys are doing, communicating with one another, and being able to accomplish on a night-in, night-out basis, and this is their job. This is their job. It's an amazing thing. Okay, the Hornets play the Celtics tonight again. The Celtics double OT against the Golden State Warriors. They they did not. They couldn't get a, a, at the top of the mountain, so they lost. And that's always, you know, disheartening, especially when you're so close. They had the lead so many times. They have to travel to Charlotte. The Hornets had a little chance to rest the starters, although Dave Yeager, for Memphis, coach of, of the Grizzlies, he didn't want to let those starters go. Very strange to me. The, the Heat, Eric Spolstra was like, nah, we're pulling them. Let's go. We lost this one. Dave Yeager, props to him. The Celtics are very good defensively. There was a great article on SB Nation. It's on CelticsBlog.com. Go check it out. Why they're good defensively without a shot blocker. Very similar to Charlotte. Charlotte does not have, even though Cody Zeller, I've mentioned he's getting better, they really don't have a, a designated rim protector. 
yet they're very good defensively, and they're doing similar things to what the Hornets are doing defensively, uh, stopping the pick and roll, getting aggressive on the pick and roll. That's another. The Hornets have been extremely aggressive on some of these pick and rolls. They're trapping in the corner, and that's something that Cody Zeller gives you. Cody Zeller can trap a guy in the corner and still recover. And one thing I love that they're doing is they are they are really blitzing these side pick and rolls, and then Nick Batum is slashing underneath the rim and getting those long arms extended. So when those, when that pass tries to come down underneath, Nick Batum has been causing turnovers. It's happened several times in the past three games. Love it. And it's something you can do because Cody Zeller is quick. And if it all goes wrong, Cody Zeller can quickly get back to the middle of the floor. All right, like Charlotte, Boston does not have any established stars. They play together. This is an interesting matchup, I think, because both of these teams are a little similar. They both have smaller point guards. They're both very well coached. Brad Stevens, great coach for the Celtics. Steve Clifford, great mind for the Hornets. They don't have any established stars. Everyone's playing together on a rope. And they're but they're the one area that they're not similar, they're two very differently paced teams. The Celtics love to get up and down. They love to create turnovers. They love to create chaos. It made it for a great matchup in Golden State because both of these teams are very good defensively, and they both love to get up and down. The Hornets don't. The Hornets like to to slow it down, to get into the half court, and, and run their run their offense. But the Celtics also turn the ball over a lot, so that'll be interesting to watch as well. Last game, they had 15 turnovers, combined 33 turnovers between Golden State and Boston. Again, that's a lot of chaos. And and if the Hornets learned anything from Golden State, it's that you have to, A, get out to a good start. I don't think you go 10 to nothing Boston and come out of that with a victory. With Memphis, their offense is a little lacking. So you had opportunities there in the second quarter to get that game back into your control. With Boston, I don't think that's the case. I think it's similar to what Golden State did. Is If you start missing shots early, Boston's going to take advantage and keep taking advantage because they'll put the rest of the game in chaos. The way that the Hornets got back into the Memphis game was by causing chaos. So, got to have a strong start and you have to stay poised when Boston starts to try to get up and down, transition defense, you have to get back. You have to play smart. You can't turn the ball over. So again, that that game tonight, first 7,500 fans get a duffel bag. That's cool. I've seen it. It's on Twitter. It's a nice duffel bag. Looks nice anyway. So get into Time Warner Cable Arena early. Get your duffel bag. And watch this suddenly second place Hornets team in the East. Last topic, actually, you know what? We'll save this. I, I we've we've gone pretty long here, and I think this is a great Tuesday topic. So I want you to tune in on Tuesday, and I want you to let us know what you think on Twitter. Does Nick Batum deserve a max deal? That's the first question. And the second question, will Nick Batum play in Charlotte? Nick Batum has said some very interesting things that I think I want to dive into with David Walker. 
David returning on Tuesday after a three-week absence. We're so happy to have him back. The team is back together. and But I just want to say also thank you to all of our guest hosts. They were amazing. Nick Denning, who's on the show every week anyway. We love him. Nada Edwards from WFNZ and Justin Thomas from ESPN 730. Just, I mean, that's, you know what? It's fun doing this show, but we're so lucky to know so many people who have great opinions and smart opinions on basketball, on sports, on the Charlotte Hornets. So we're so lucky to know those guys. We're so lucky that they that they uh, like us enough to come on the show. Keep listening, Hornets fans. Again, Tuesday, 6 o'clock p.m., we will be live. We'll, we'll talk about Nick Batum. We'll talk about this Celtics game and so much more. Thank you for taking a little bit of your weekend to, to listen to me yammer on about the Charlotte Hornets. This is Doug Branson for David and producer Katie saying, stay bought in, stay believing. All hail the Teal and Purple.